Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Hey guys, this is Jessie and you are listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. Today you will also be joined by Zenya, Tracy, Ethan, Lee, Alishba and Saruki. You guys just heard Cherry Talk by Triple S and Crystallize. And before that, you guys heard Next to Me by ATBO. Coming up in our show today, we will be welcoming back Birdie, who you may remember from last year where she talked about her new single, Poolside. Well, today we will be chatting to her about all the juicy details regarding the release of her new EP and her upcoming Australian tour. Our man in Japan, JP, recently celebrated his birthday in the land of the rising sun, so we will be hearing all about that as well as some of his own personal music recommendations. On the topic of Japan, and as part of the never-ending saga of the innovative ways Asians find love, we bring to you a love from a vending machine in Japan. Lee will also be talking about her recent obsession with the new Legend of Zelda game. But you know what else we're obsessed with? Supporting Sin. If you guys like the wacky content that us here at Asian Pop Nation put out every week, it's time to pay for your sins this Radiothon. Between May 22nd and June 11th, we are asking you to pay for your sins and keep sin on the airways. Help us hit $50,000. Head to syn.org.au to donate. All donations above $2 are tax deductible and puts you into the raffle to win one of three amazing prize packs. Prizes can include clothing from Homey Streetwear, vouchers for Vic Market Tattoos, voucher for Heartland Records, Ruby tickets at the Sun Theatre, issues of literary journal VoiceWorks, starter pack for the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studio, plus many more, all kindly donated by local NAM businesses and organisations. Your donation will directly support media training and radio opportunities for young people and amplify the music, culture and news that matters to young Australians. Keep sin on your airwaves and online, always. Donate now at syn.org.au and a huge thank you to everyone who's already donated. Hey guys, welcome back to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. You guys just heard Echo by Lennus, and before that you guys heard Crazy Like That by Very Very, which is from their new EP, Liminality. And even more before that, you guys heard Make Me Love You by Vivis, which is an OST track from the drama True to Love. Now, coming up next, we will be speaking to an amazing artist who we actually spoke to last year about her single, Poolside. Well, now she's back with not only a new EP, but an announcement for an upcoming Australian tour. So join us and tune in as we welcome Birdie. This is Asian Pop Nation here on Sin. You are here with Jesse and Taruki, and also a very special guest here with us today. You may remember her from our show last year when she talked to Leisha and Alishba about her single Poolside. Well, now Birdie is back here with us again with the release of her second EP, On My Own, and also a very special announcement, which we'll be getting into a little later. Without further ado, please welcome the amazing Birdie. Um, so my name is Birdie, and it is not only my artist name, but my real name as well. Um, I am from the countryside, but now living in the city in Sydney. I am Greek, Chinese, and Russian, and I love to sing, dance, um, perform, and do many other amazing creative things as well. So what has changed since the last time we have chatted with you? It's a very good question. I think since the last time we chatted, 
a lot has changed. A lot has developed and grown. I think myself as an artist, I have like, you know, taken on a lot of challenges, a lot of um, things that has, I guess, made me elevate and be prepared for, um, you know, opportunities and plans and things that are that are happening currently. Um, I don't know, just like a lot of, yeah, a lot of planning, a lot of releasing of songs and projects. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's it. Just a lot of planning at the moment. Uh, along with the planning, you are also releasing your new EP on my own, which also includes some new singles, including Dreams and On My Own, as well as some of our favorite tracks from you, like Poolside and Self Sabotage. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the process that went into creating this new EP? Yeah, of course. Um, so most of the songs have been written and made overseas when I was solo traveling around the UK and the US last year, around August. Um, so yeah, most of these songs, you know, they are about realizations, experiences and things that I experienced during that trip um, in which I really wanted to release them to kind of show what I, what I went through during that time of just exploring and discovering and also evolving as an artist as well as a person at that moment. Um, yeah, and I guess sharing the different, the different ways that I've experimented with music in terms of like my style and my genres of sound um, as I love to, I guess, branch out and be out of my comfort zone with that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's more so just a collection of how I've recently been feeling and experiencing things and the realizations. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh my God. You went traveling. Oh my. <laughs> Wish I could do that right now, but um, now I want to draw a bit of special attention to one of my favorite tracks from you so far, um, Dreams. It's personally one of my favorites. So I'm super curious about like the meaning behind it and like the creation process and all that good jazz. Yeah. So I wrote Dreams when I was in England during my solo trip. Uh, I was working with a couple of producers, including Oaken, Robin and Nifty. Um, and that song in particular especially highlights my experience during that trip of how I was just seeing so many new places, meeting new people, um, you know, discovering things about myself, learning um, and just having fun and being in the moment. And at that time, I felt like my life was like a dream. The fact that I was just focusing on my music and having fun and enjoying myself, it just felt like almost like it was too good to be true. So I really wanted to capture that moment and put it in a song. And that was that was what I got. This song is so good. It captured it so well. Oh my God. Um, I also wanted to talk about one of your new singles that's coming out with your EP as well called On My Own. At the time mm -hmm. of recording this, I don't think it's out yet, but by the time this airs, it will be out. Um, so how would you describe this song and um, what was your inspiration behind it as well? So On My Own has been 
a song that's been in it's been in the collection for a long time I wrote it in 2019 when I had just moved to Sydney um and it's a very it's very different to the other songs it's more electronic EDM kind of sound and it was about a heart like a relationship heartbreak that I had at that time um and it, I don't know in a way it, it's almost like a diss track I, I felt so heartbroken and like just so much pain at the time that I was collaborating with um producers and I was working with one of my uni friends and his roommate actually said, Hey, do you want to work on a track? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so he just laid down chords and then I just was singing and like, just, I don't even know. It just came out. I was just singing, improvising. And then as I, as soon as I just sung like the chorus and the, the, the melodic line in it, I was like, Oh my God. Like I didn't know that, that I had that in me. So I think, I really channeled all of that anger and pain and emotion and just really put it in there. And that, and that's what I got. And I was like, wow, like this is so such an empowering and like strong song, you know, for me to use, I guess, for myself to get through that time. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy like that it, it's coming out or if it has already come out, I'm really happy that it is out now. So you mentioned that you, um, collaborated with a lot of different people from uni friends, artists, etc. Um, how do you think that these collaborations have influenced your style of music or your creative process? I think that they've most definitely influenced the way that I create and write and how I sound at the end of the day because I work with various different types of producers and artists deliberately so that when I go into the studio with them and we are working together I want to make sure that I'm you know I'm going in with what I know and what is I guess my sound and my kind of style but then to blend it in with their style and genre so that it then becomes kind of like this meshed blended sound that could potentially be a sound like no one's ever heard of so you know I think it's really important as artists also I believe that we should you know always be open and always get out of our comfort zone to try new things to try and create new things that people you know maybe not have heard of or it might become something that hasn't been out yet so um yeah, it definitely has changed and influenced me through that way of the way that I, I see how to collaborate and and do that sort of stuff. But I think it also has influenced me creatively because of, you know, when you sit down with a, a producer and the way that they, I guess, process music, it can be so different to how you would process music and how you work. So for me to go into a room and to I guess learn and adapt in a way in a sense I think is so amazing because as an art yeah again as an artist you should always, always be open to um you know trying new things and and learning also about how other people work and how they create so yeah it's 
de it's definitely opened me to so many perspectives and doors and ways of how to create, how to be an artist as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. That's, that's a great mindset to have. Even just broadly, just being open to ideas. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Um, that actually leads very well into the next little question that we have, which is, how do you think your style has changed from when you first started as an artist uh, to now? Are you more daring with trying new things? Are you, what has changed? When I first started making music, I was, you know, back at home in the countryside and I would be sitting on my piano, just piano and vocals and just writing songs. Um, and I'd be sketching it in a book and it would you know, mostly be more contemporary, more songwriting kind of stuff. But to to look back from there to where I am now has been a big jump, a big step. Um, I've made music that is more indie kind of. I've made music that's more alternative pop. I feel like I'm slowly transitioning into more EDM or maybe electronic pop. Um, I, I don't know. I, I want to continue just branching out and seeing what I can make in the future. Uh, I don't know what I will make. I don't know what direction I want to take. I don't really have a plan. Um, but I think that's the beauty of it to not have a plan and to more so just naturally let it happen and just slowly go with it. Yeah. Um, I believe you have a very special announcement. <laughs> about a certain tour that's coming up in Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So I am very excited. I'm going to be doing my first ever headline tour show. Um, first show will be in Sydney, then Wollongong, then um, Adelaide, Melbourne and Brisbane. Um, I'm very, very excited. Really I'm so excited for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, um, on the topic of like tours and live performances, is there anything that you do to prepare for these performances? And uh, how do you feel that they are different to, say, recording a song or, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what do I do to pre prepare for shows and things? Um, what I usually do is, you know, firstly think about what I'm wearing for the night. Important, um, important. Practically go through my wardrobe, absolutely trash it and be like, I have nothing to wear. And then figure something out, manage to get an outfit, do my hair, do my makeup, um, which, yeah. And then I mostly, I drive to the venue. So when I'm driving to the venue, I will like go through the songs and just like warm up my, my voice and sing through them um and then I do sound check and then usually just kind of you know make sure everything's organized and ready um but I don't eat that's one thing I don't eat before the show because otherwise I just feel sick and I can't do it so <laughs> I always make sure that I eat but even by the end of the show I'm just full of adrenaline and just so much like energy so like I just I don't have an appetite which is really interesting that's my little thing um but yeah that's usually like my process before a show 
Um, I personally actually love being on the stage, maybe like more than being in the studio. Just that I've always been on stages performing, singing, dancing since the age of three. So it's just always been like second nature to me. Um, I feel as though the difference is that on stage, you only get one shot. You get one mm -hmm. shot at, you know, each song or like your entire performance. There are no redos. There's no, you know, pausing. There's no, you don't, I feel like I don't need to overthink or I need to stress or I need to worry like, oh, I've done this in my voice. Like I can redo that or I can, you know, I can try again. I think it's so amazing that with a live performance, it's just one take and that's it. And, you know, you can, you can either make mistakes or not, but that's like, that's the fun of it that you just get to do it and enjoy it. And to be with, you know, a group of people um, and share that it, with them. Um, yeah. I think that's the difference. Whereas to being in the studio, you know, you can listen to it, listen to a take of your vocal and be like, Oh, I should have done this. I could have done that. And then you'll be there doing it like over and over and over again, multiple takes. Um, and that's where it comes in for me personally. I'm a bit of an OCD perfectionist. So I will be in the studio for hours on end if I need to, to get one take right. <laughs> you did mention that you liked performing. You've been performing since age three, I think you said. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your music videos, which yeah. honestly I'm in love with. Um, sometimes it's just like very chill, like vlog style. And then other times it's very sentimental and have like these beautiful locations and like choreographed dance, like in self-sabotage and like dorsal fins. And then other times you just tell a story through it. Like, I think you dressed up as like an old lady for like um keeping <laughs> love or something. Yeah. And I was like, my mind was blown. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to ask how you decide what direction you want to take with your music videos. Most of the time with the music videos, they're very spontaneous. So as much as my team and I will do a lot of planning and prepping behind it um, in terms of like the concept, the idea, the way we're going to shoot it with various locations and things like that. When it comes to the actual day of shooting, there are so many last minute plans that will happen. So many last minute ideas will, I'll be like, no, I think it should be like this or I think that this can happen and then someone will jump in and they'll be like, no, you know what, I think we could change it like this and we really just kind of go with the flow, see what happens and, you know, just let it naturally evolve and naturally work itself out and then we get that final product, yeah. Um, so obviously it has been a journey for you as an artist for when you first started to now. Um, you would have obviously faced some challenges and things like that. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had so far in your career and how have you overcome them? Biggest challenges of my career and how have I overcome them? Um, I think at the moment, one of the biggest challenges is one, letting go of trying to be perfect trying to be I don't know just yeah perfect and immaculate and pretty and on the mm -hmm. face of 
I think that's a really big thing. I've realized that a lot of artists, including myself, have realized, you know, we are the biggest critics of ourselves. Um, and it can be a blessing, but also a curse. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges to let go of the idea that I need to be perfect, that not everything that I release, you know, whether it's music or music videos or content or performances, they can't be perfect um, or they, they can't be exactly how I envision it in my head. And so I need to allow that to happen and allow like, you know, room for me to, you know, learn and progress and do it in my way not in a way that I think I should be you know up here um yeah that's one of the biggest challenges another thing is definitely time maybe time management time management I feel like where I am right now with my career has definitely leveled up a little bit in terms of where I was the last time I spoke to you guys. And I feel like I've, ta I've taken a lot more responsibility and maybe a lot more pressure onto myself. And so at times I feel like I need to balance that out mm. with how, what, what are my priorities in my life to, you know, allowing myself to relax, to not always working all the time and worrying and thinking about my music, I think. <laughs> Rest is important. Rest is important. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. As we kind of round this round this off a little bit, um, is there any advice that you would like to offer to like young musicians or artists that are starting that are starting or want to get into the industry? I would say always say yes to everything. My my dad always said to me, if there's always an opportunity in front of you grab it with two hands and hang on tight because you may not ever get that chance again. Very solid advice. Um, and then finally, where can our listeners find you, social media? Um... So you can listen to my music on Spotify, Apple, um, at Birdie, B-I-R-D-E-E. -E. You can also check out my Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at the same one, at Birdie. And to check out my tour shows and the tickets for that, you can also go to my links in my social media um, bios. Thanks for joining us here today. And if you guys are interested in Birdie's music or her upcoming Australian tour, make sure to check out everything that she mentioned earlier. And yeah, big thank you to Birdie for joining us here today. Yay! Clap, clap, clap. For having me. This is Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin, and you are with your EP, Jesse. I'm here to back announce some of the songs you guys just heard, starting off with Movie Star by Miju, and before that, you guys heard Grabby Girl by Ryu Su John, and before that, you guys heard On My Own by Birdie, which is a new track from her new EP, also called On My Own. Now, coming up next, we'll be doing a bit of a belated birthday celebration of our man in Japan, Jake. He and he will be talking about how he celebrated his birthday or rather how he spent his birthday in Japan and also some of the songs he would recommend to us. 
So here at Asian Pop Nation, we love to celebrate a lot of Asian pop, but we also like to celebrate a lot of Asian icons. We've had a lot of famous Asian celebrities, a lot of historical figures that have shaped Asia to what they are today. Um, and today we like to celebrate another famous historical figure who has actually come all the way from Melbourne, but is now currently residing in Japan. Um, it is JP. So Ooh. it is his birthday today. Yeah. Wow. Birthday boy. Wow. Thank you. I'm like 23 now. It's crazy. How do you Sorry, feel? But... How do you feel being 23? How do I feel? Um, I feel sort of like disappointed because 22 was such a nice number. Like, you know, two, two. Yeah. And now it's 23. It's like, oh, it's not as neat. So I have to live with that for a year. But then when I get to 24, it'll be cool. So it'll be like, oh, yeah, four is a double of two. It's like, it's, it's sick, you know? Yeah. How, how was your birthday? How did you celebrate it while you were in Japan? Okay, I'll actually tell you. This is actually pretty cool. So, of course, in the morning I worked because it was a work day. It's like Monday. So I was like, okay, whatever. And I was like, yeah, happy birthday. But later in the day, I actually went to a Japanese high school for the first time in my life. So literally, I heard every period bell. Like every time class ends, it's like, what? No way, it's real. Okay, context. I am living in a small town called Takamori and it is very rural here. It's out in the countryside. The school itself, it's not like super new. It's not shiny or anything, but like, it's nice. It's nicely built. So the only way I can summarize my time in Takamori High School was that it was like literally anime. Like, dude, anime was real. Like, I swear, the thing you said, Xenia, with the, the bells, it was real. I was walking through those halls. The classrooms are real. The classrooms Like when they put their shoes. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, we had to wear indoor slippers. They were so tiny. They were terrible. There were students walking around. They had really nice uniforms, you know, nicely buttoned up shirts, you know, tucked in. There was a big giant piece of paper hung up on the wall with a bunch of manga characters drawn in it by all the students. Because uh, this, this high school, actually, this high school is quite unique. It is the only high school in Japan that literally has a manga curriculum. So the students literally get taught how to make manga. Like, we even got to sit down in one of the classes. They were practicing, like perspective and I was like oh my god I need this class my perspective sucks but so is it like a manga school like students go there if they want to become manga artists no it's just a high school and there are just manga classes that you can do so this is like this is the first time it's ever been done in Japan so it was very cool to see so everywhere I went there are these cool manga things here and there like in the library lots of manga everywhere a lot of the students you know they're they're good at drawing it was really cool but anyway the coolest thing that happened that day was after school, we went to their manga club. Like there's a club they go to. So like some students, they work on their own manga or they just go there and talk about things. And so we, I'm, I'm part of like a village of artists. We paid a visit to the manga club. And I kid you not, the vast majority of the students were these loud ass high school girls that would just rush in and they go, oh my God, can you draw this Genshin Impact character? Like we had, dude, it was like we were at a book signing. We were sitting at a table, you know, long table. 
and like you know on one side is just us the artists like we're tired we had a long day at work you know and then on the other side like this swarm of high school girls just coming in and going oh could you draw like you know this it's like this uh you know john lee from genshin impact and i was like yeah sure i'll draw um it was the craziest thing ever they squealed so loud if there's one thing i learned from that day is that high school girls in every country are literally the same they do they they just scream and go yeah you know it was it was it's universal it is universal my poor editor um he had to translate everything they were saying and he's like i can't <laughs> i just can't so is it because it's hard or because he doesn't think that it's worth translating it's like both it's both like i swear one one girl she came up to me and she had this original character she was working on her own manga and uh she told me yeah can you draw her in this pose and i was drawing her and she's like oh make sure the boobs are big <laughs> like literally like did you get any bl requests <laughs> no but there were a lot of requests for handsome men like uh, those are mostly men yeah, Ikemen, you know. What else did I learn that day? I know I learned a bit of slang as well. Some what slang. dialect do they speak there? I think they just speak the normal Tokyo dialect there. I didn't really like hear anything crazy. I think that's that's just how the youngins speak these days, Tokyo dialect. But more importantly, they speak the internet slang too. <laughs> the Japanese internet slang. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting Japanese internet slang. I can't remember all of them, but one I remembered especially was that um, nowadays when you want to say that something is really cool or really nice or sometimes even like a little sexy, um, you say the Japanese word for delicious. Oishi. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah really. Trust me, these are like 15-year-old girls. They're on the internet more than I am now. I draw a handsome guy for them and they pick it up and they're like, Oishi! and everyone's like, oh, right they even say that to their own teacher i'm like kid you not like they had their sort of like presiding teacher like their illustration teacher was there to you know look over them and i think they're talking about her clothes and she was like and they were like oh sensei oishi you're literally saying wow teacher is delicious teacher is delicious today yeah i don't know what's going on i guess it's a way of saying like yummy in yeah but yes, it was a really fun day. I think it was the first time I enjoyed drawing for a long time. <laughs> Why? Is it become now a job? Is it sort of? Oh, yeah, like... basically. Like, it's a job, right? So it's like, you're tired and like, man, I just want to like play Roblox or something. I don't know. I don't play Roblox. I play Splatoon. Splatoon 3. It's a really good game. Um, but yeah, it, when it's a job, it's like, yeah, you get tired. Like, you're drawing all day. It's like, but then... The fact that whatever I drew, no matter how bull it was, I could give it to them and they just squeal and they'd be so happy. Like it, it felt really good because I was like, you know, wow, I just drew this like hot anime guy and now these high school girls are happy and oh, look at them. They're just frolicking around now, squealing and shrieking. My ears hurt, but like, you know, damn, they're happy, you know? So yeah. That was it. That was my day. It was a really nice day. I had a lot of fun. I felt really good. And so to end this segment, let me give you some songs that impart the same feeling as I had on that beautiful, wonderful day 
with those loud ass high school girls. My ears are still ringing. Anyway, the first song is Have a Nice Day by Huawei, really cool Taiwanese artist. The next one is a rendition of Anyone Else But You by Sugar Me. I'm pretty sure we played this in the past, but damn it, I'm gonna play it again. It's so good. And the last one is Grateful Days by an old Japanese rap group called Dragon Ash. I think we also played that too, but damn it, it's really good. So that's it. Happy birthday, everyone. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation, where you guys just heard some amazing tracks recommended by our dear friend JP, who is currently in Japan. You guys just heard Grateful Days by Dragon Ash, and for that, you guys heard Anyone Else But You by Sugar Me, and even more before that, you guys heard Have a Nice Day by Huawei. Now, a lot of us here are single, some of us here have found love, um, so we will be continuing this saga of what Asian countries have been doing to find love and get the birth rate up. And on this week's um, episode, we have love from vending machines in Japan. And we will also be talking about this dating show that came from China about older women dating younger men, which is a pretty, it's a concept that's not so widely accepted, but I think it's becoming more accepted nowadays, which is why we're going to talk about it. You may know that here at APN, we love talking about fictional romances. A key instigator of this is Xenia. But today we wanted to talk a bit more about real life romance, as in real people getting together for real. So we have two stories for you today. One comes from China and another comes from Japan. Starting with the one from China, we're basically going to be talking a little bit about how the concept of older women dating younger men is becoming more commonplace now. My mom's generation, everyone got married when they were like 25 and then had kids the same year they got married. That was the done thing. But now times are changing and women who are in their gasp 30s are getting into relationships with younger men. This has become more commonplace um, or maybe accepted is a better word, owing in part to shows such as Nothing But You. Nothing But You was a show that wrapped up mid-April this year and it's about a 32-year-old sports agent who falls in love with a 22-year-old athlete and it got an impressive score of 8.2 out of 10 on Douban, which is Chinese letterboxed essentially. For me personally, this story is interesting because my cousin was in a relationship for a long time, for like five years, with a guy who was one year younger than her. And my mum would just talk about it like it was something crazy. She was like, ah, yes, he seems like a nice guy and she obviously cares a lot about him, but oh, I can't get over the fact that he's younger. And she would always be like, this won't work out because he's younger. She, she feels it's like wrong and unnatural. Then again, my mom, she's probably not got the most modern ideals when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, I would like to second that. It's very much the same with my parents' generation. They're still very much ingrained in that old mindset of like older men, younger women, that kind of thing. Their whole standard for like me and my brother is built on that. So let's take an example. My parents are like, yo, you must be married by 23. And then... <laughs> And then with my brother, I'm like, why don't you tell him about it? And just to note, my brother is two years younger than me. And when I was like, why don't you talk to him about it? And they're like, 
oh, he's still young. He can always find people younger. When you get old, you can't find people younger. Yeah. So I feel like this movement is very much with like the current generation, not so much with like our parents' generation. Yes, because keep in mind our parents are all like 50, 60 years old. I feel like something I've noticed in my culture maybe. Yeah, yeah. Usually from like the parents and stuff like that, they want the girls to marry young. Like... 20 and after that they started like looking for marriages but something that I've seen in my school is like I personally think I'm not with like early marriages because I don't really like that I want to like you know explore myself but a lot of like people in my school like especially the girls they want to marry young they're like as soon as I get 20 I'm gonna see someone and marry I don't know if it's like the Arab part of their culture that they want to marry young I don't know but I feel like the parents think the same thing but for guys I feel like it doesn't really matter they don't really care that much Hmm. A lot of that seems to be that they maybe associate marriage with like a sense of security. And as women become more secure with like being no longer reliant on financially reliant on men, I think that whole marriage aspect doesn't become as important for people. I was going to say like my parents, I think because my sister and I are a little younger, we haven't gotten the talk about marriage yet, but I feel like I had this really weird expectation of myself to be married like around about 23 maybe 22 that was just me being really uneducated kind of thing this was like years ago so like when I grew older I was like why am I expecting to do that to myself to be married so young and I feel like in dramas and like shows they always perceive people to be married young especially for women or like girls in general and it's like not a standard for men as much and I think that's why I had that weird unrealistic expectation I don't know if this is anything related to the topic that we were talking about no it's definitely related because I definitely think our media does reinforce the notion that women have to be young in order to be seen as attractive. There's that thing with like Johnny Depp's like girlfriends and how they're never older than 25 while he continues to age. And you can see- Leo DiCaprio. That's Leo DiCaprio. Okay. In movies as well, you see like young women who are like 27 with men who are like 45. Or even in K-pop, people were talking about Yoon Jin from CLC, like when she was on Girls Planet, as if she was like ancient, but she was like 24. So people just perceive age in a really warped way when it comes to women, I think. There's also the thing where they don't want you to date when you're in high school, so you can focus on your VCE studies. And then as soon as you enter university, it's like, get married now, quick, quick. (laughs) It doesn't make sense either. So I think maybe the women getting married later might also be a consequence of like women being more educated maybe because they're spending all that time like studying for their master's degrees and stuff they don't have time to date other people they're too busy like pursuing higher education Ethan as a male what can you say about this issue I don't know what I can add to this conversation without inputting my own like um wow boy on boy violence (laughs) all right JP you go first what do you think about this whole situation um, what can I say? Um, I think the whole thing about marrying um young, I feel like a big reason of that is because of kids. Mm, true. Yeah. At least like for guys, like even if you're an old fart, you can still have like 10 kids, right? But, <laughs> but like Robert women, De Niro. <laughs> yeah, like you know, Robert De Niro, you know. Um, but like for women, it's a little more different, I guess. And like at a certain point it becomes dangerous to have kids. So I feel like especially if you look back in ancient cultures where like half your babies would die um then like i imagine yeah that that's sort of where that expectation 
was born from. So, guys, do you feel any pressure to get married at some point, or I want to get married. I want to get married right now so that I'll be alive to see my grand, 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 great grand kids, and then like you know start up a whole empire. I want to like micromanage everything. Yeah, but no external pressure, nothing from family members or. Oh, not really, not really. I guess that's. Oh, really? Those guys, like oh. they don't really. Wow. Oh, do you, do you get pressure, Ethan? I don't know if it's pressure per se, but I think it's more an expectation because my parents got married when they were like 25, 26, um, uh-huh. um, like right out of uni. So I think they do have the expectation like in a few years you'll be married and you'll have kids soon. So you should get your finances sorted, have a job. But like, I feel like most people our age as well don't really care so much about marriage and uh-huh. um, kids. This is such a tangent, but I know like the antinatalist culture is really like oh. becoming quite prevalent <laughs> yeah, in our generation. Um, and I think that probably has a big role to play in that as well. I think the reality is for a lot of us, um, a lot of the reason why people like maybe not marrying so young is because modern life, we're more isolated, we're more likely to be single for longer, less likely to be in relationships. Um, and one possible cure for this is offered by a Japanese company that makes catches for single people. Apparently, this matchmaking agency set up these vending machines with the names of girls in each of the, you know, bits. And you'd pay, like, I don't know, a thousand yen, and you'd, you know, you'd match with whoever girl you press for. Like, beep, and then you get the coupon or whatever. You get to see their pictures and like collect which ones you want, like a normal gacha? No. There are no pictures, Zenya. It's just text description. It is text description saying, aha, woman, 32 years old, something, something on a gaishimasu. Like, as weird as it is, I feel like people forget that, like, a couple of decades ago, people were advertising, like, themselves to get married on, like, newspapers and stuff. So I don't think it's, like, that shocking that people would go to these lengths to, to find someone. I don't know, would you sign yourself up to a vending machine if you were single? Dude, I'd be scared, man. Like, what if I, like, I get the number thing and I go to the rendezvous point and it's, like, some dark warehouse like no way you know what i found interesting about this vending machine it's like tucked away in like a little corner so like Mm. it literally says in the article that it's like from out on the street it's actually a little hard to spot so um (laughs) even if you put your names in there i'm like unless someone's like purposefully looking for it or just stumbles very deeply into it i don't think anyone's gonna really find it Jesse makes a good point because I feel like media brain, you got to think about your demographic, right? So if you put your vending machine in the middle of some back alley, like what kind of people are you attracting there? Whereas if you put it at like some fancy high rise, like corporate building, you can guarantee that like <laughs> some like very rich, wealthy businessman that has no time to date will find you. That's how you optimize your, your dating chances. See, Why is a billionaire doing gotchas? <laughs> <laughs> he's an idle billionaire he's got yeah. nothing else to do with his time he's just buying motorcycles and <laughs> lottery tickets such a niche market <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the market we're trying to target with these uh, gacha yeah, machines exactly they actually do have the demographics for these particular Japanese gacha machines they say that most people are people in their 30s and 40s but there are also some people in their 20s and 50s so mostly 30s and 40s checks out because I think this is like local shops like who is 
more likely to be walking around your local shops enough to notice this machine to hook them so up. So it's like if they had a vending machine at like the Aldi in like your local shopping center. Yeah. Or like interesting. I Although I guess, you know, the agency does more than just like give you the ball with the person's name. They also like set up the meetings and if it doesn't go well, you can get refunded. So it's not a complete rot, but it seems like a very inefficient like blind dating service. So we've done a lot of segments in the past of like wacky dating strategies, but like on the scale of like, this works, this doesn't work. Where does, where does this vending machine line up for you guys? Would you guys do it? Was it? Like three, three out of 10. I think it could work. Ethan's got a lot of hopes in this investment. He's, <laughs> he's already bought like 10, 10 stock. Here at APN, we love talking romance, but you know what we also love? Sin. And if you guys haven't heard, we are doing a Radiothon from this 22nd of May to the 11th of June, where our target goal is $50,000. Now, your donation will directly support media training and radio opportunities for young people here at SIN and amplify the music, culture and news that matters to young Australians. All donations above $2 are tax deductible and puts you in the raffle to win one of three amazing prize packs. Now, some of these prizes also include clothing from Homie Streetwear, vouchers for Vic Market tattoos, as well as movie tickets at the Sun Theatre, which might I add is a pretty good um, place to go for a date with a special someone. All you have to do is donate now at syn.org.au. Thank you to everyone who has already donated and keep listening. Hey, it's Lee here. You just listened to Karma by Black Swan. And now I'll be doing a little review about the latest Legend of Zelda game. Hey, listen! So I think everyone can remember the really popular game that came out pre-COVID all the way back in 2017 called The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So for some context for those who aren't familiar with Breath of the Wild or even The Legend of Zelda, it's essentially a very popular and legendary uh, video game franchise that was created by the game director called Shigeru Miyamoto and was developed by Nintendo in 1986. So at the heart of this saga lies the tale of a courageous hero named Link and he's clad in green and in every game he embarks on a quest to rescue Princess Zelda and save the land of Hyrule from the clutches of the evil Ganondorf. So after the success of the Breath of the Wild, um, Nintendo actually teased a sequel back in 2019. So finally, after four years, the most anticipated and long-awaited sequel called The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was finally released uh, two weeks ago. And me being the self-proclaimed, uh, I guess, resident APN gamer, I had it pre-ordered and I've been playing it every day for hours since it came out. Um, at the time of recording, I am currently sitting at... 90 hours of gameplay. So what actually made this game so successful in the first place? So Breath of the Wild the prequel was the first Legend of Zelda game to have open world exploration where players could freely move around and explore. Um, they also moved away from that I guess linear storytelling approach they traditionally had in their past series. And one main thing was their amazing attention to detail. Like, for example, if you had Link swing his sword and you were standing over grass, 
his sword would actually cut the grass and it would leave like a circle of like mowed grass and also how the weather affects Link. For example, during the rain, when you try and climb a cliff, um, you can actually slip and could make it difficult to climb. So you would have to go and wait for the weather to pass to be able to climb without slipping. Um, players also had a lot of freedom in how they were able to approach challenges and puzzles in their own unique ways. So what is different about this sequel compared to the first game? Since a lot of people actually speculated it to be like essentially the same game with with little tweaks in the story. Um, So this new adventure, Tears of the Kingdom, is set several years after Breath of the Wild where Link defeats Calamity Ganon and saves Princess Zelda. So the new story, um, without spoiling anything, is essentially about the Zonai, who were the gods slash ancestors um, to the people of Hyrule, who came down from the heavens. Um, every game has a similar premise, so Link is off to save Princess Zelda once again, um, but this time with new powers and new layers of the world to explore. So yeah, it definitely retains... I guess certain aspects of the first game but they pretty much created three new worlds um, like each in a different layer of the world so even though the same main map is used for the surface I would say the game is entirely new but is still familiar but also better in terms of UI and also exploration. They also have a sky world which you can explore but I did find that the area you could explore was kind of small. compared to like the underground and also the surface but it's still pretty cool I guess and the puzzle solving in this game like I feel like I have way more creative control so one of the new powers is that you get to join objects together which means you can make anything like if there's a maze that you have to go through you can make a hot air balloon to float to the top of the maze and then fly down to the goal essentially skipping but also solving the maze in your own way so there's so much creativity that comes with this game and because you can literally make anything in the first week of the game being out players with very creative minds but also too much time on their hands have made things like armored tanks bomber planes literally a full functioning mech that works to fight monsters and also to unfortunately torture koroks which are these little leaf people that you have to help them get to their friend because they got split up when they were on their little adventure it's very cute um but like i don't think nintendo could have imagined how bloodthirsty the average legend of zelda players are so you have to move these koroks with you to get to their friend so people have been attaching them to a crucifix um they've made a Korok rotisserie machine. Someone made a rocket with boosters that could break off at different stages so they could send a Korok up into space. But yes, anyways, after playing over 90 hours of this game, I think it's very apparent that I find this game really incredible. Like the story this time around is still interesting because it goes into the past of when Hyrule was founded. And that's just the main story. Like there's, I think, 200 plus quests that you can do. And there's also a lot of Easter eggs. For example, you can visit NPCs that you met in the prequel and they'll say something that brings you back to the nostalgia of 
Breath of the Wild. Also, the soundtrack is once again amazing. I think the main composer is the same one from Breath of the Wild, who is called Manaka Kataoka. And I really like the main theme for this game. And yeah, it's really incredible. So all in all, very cool game. I would give it 9 Koroks out of 10. So if you have anything to say about this new Legend of Zelda game or if you want to recommend any games that you think I would like, I will possibly try it out. But yeah, you can do that at our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation Sin. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation where you guys just heard a couple of great tracks. Starting off with 123 Go Shoot by Mirani featuring Blyce and Ray Army. And before that, you guys heard Dombies by Dogorizu and Nablus. And even more before that, you guys heard the Seraphim's new track, Eve, Psych, and the Bluebeard's Wife. Now, coming up, us here at APN have been seeing some wacky individuals in Melbourne recently. Now, some of these individuals have their origins in China based on the fog costume, and some of them, we... They're, they're local individuals that have wacky pastimes, um, including a girl that balances a water bottle on her head. But if you guys would like to hear more about that, make sure to stay tuned as we I throw over to the team. So, have you ever felt like the shackles of societal expectation were just so heavy that you needed to find a way to liberate yourself? Well, say no yes. more! Oh. Yeah, <laughs> we'll say that, but then say no more. Because in China, the streets are being filled with frogs, people dressing up as frogs, which I think has also caught on to Melbourne. Um, so essentially what these frogs are doing are having dance battles, skateboarding, military salutes. There's a lot of memes that have started to float around Weibo and the internet and it seems to be a way of I guess people in China from no longer being so centered around work culture and just taking a moment to find the joy in life so how have we seen some of this in Melbourne recently or maybe around in the past couple years has anyone found some sightings of these frogs actually around Melbourne yes the other day I was walking down Melbourne Central um and I saw a guy dressed as a frog and I was like what is this this is such a such a strangely put together frog costume what was he doing I don't know he was just walking down I think he was holding hands with someone who's probably guiding him because those mascots need someone to guide them um but I thought it was really strange um all the power to that guy but like yeah it was just a weird sighting to see on a when was this like tuesday tuesday afternoon um but yeah melbourne is home to a full to a whole cast of strange and wacky characters um some of which some of our members have seen i guess i don't know has anyone seen anyone (laughs) melbourne that's (laughs) Okay, now that I say that, this sounds like a really weird segment to be like, have you guys seen anyone weird looking in Melbourne? (laughs) Um, But no, seriously, I haven't seen anyone doing anything weird. I don't know about weird, um, because like I'm not in Melbourne right now. uh, But I do remember every time I go to the National Gallery of Victoria, there's always like this old Asian guy at the front playing like an Urhu. Yes! Yes! What's up with him? Why is he so cool? You'll have to ask him next time. (laughs) 
that also reminds me of that there's also that like um old asian dude something about old asian dudes in melbourne but outside mm -hmm. of the art center um on your way to ngv is like this guy who has this little tripod stand for a smartphone and you just like send requests to him of what songs you want him to sing and it's like this 50 year old asian guy who like sings love story by taylor swift <laughs> um, so next time you're I've around an evening yeah <laughs> he's a crowd pleaser. it's like his singing is very um interesting but he has so much passion into it and it's so wonderful to see someone 100 percent committed to it like with like zero shame just like in public everyone loves him yeah um, I, I think it's just so inspiring because I think it's like a mix of you know buskers or performers in Melbourne who are either really good or like just trying to get a quick buck and then there's him yeah. who's like I mean questionably good but is a lot of fun to watch <laughs> any other strange sightings well um I haven't cited this person by myself, but the whole impetus for this segment is a character known as Water Bottle Girl, um, who is Asian. Um, so basically, Water Bottle Girl um, got a dint in her skull from a hoverboard, uh, like a skate, a snowboarding accident. And she figured out that she could actually, like, it was perfect for balancing water bottles. And so she learned to just walk around, go about her daily life in the streets with just a water bottle on her head. And people see her randomly when she's out with her friends at Chadston at, in the city. Um, I think Lee has seen her in the flesh once. She's like a, you know, I don't know. It reminds me of all the people who are like, oh, I saw my Chonny. My Chonny doesn't have a dent in his skull, but he is like a YouTuber who was a big formative part of all of our childhoods. And he like is from Melbourne and he haunts our streets. And occasionally people will see him at like Box Hill or Chadston and it's like, oh, a celebrity sighting. So I feel like um, maybe with my Chani uh, not having as large a profile now, maybe a water bottle, water bottle girl will take over that. Your water bottle girl is very like, I remember in like 2019, like somewhere between 2018 to like 2020, she was everywhere. Like me and my friends saw her like very frequently, like at least once a week kind of thing. Like she was everywhere. Which goes to show just the the impact of Water Bottle Girls like history on Melbourne lore. Um, Where has and... she gone now then? What has she like graduated and can no longer walk around? I think the she's city still around. Time? I think she's still around. Um, there's also a fun story about. There's also a guy called Carrot Guy who I have actually seen as well. He's just a guy who carries this huge like paper mache carrot. It's like one meter tall, and he just carries it around. Apparently, I think he did it like after his wife died or something, he was like, I need to make people happy. And that's what he decided to do. And one day, um, Water Bottle Girl met Carrot Man on the tram. And the story goes that she, that he said, hey, why do you have a water bottle on your head? And she said, hey, why do you carry, ca why do you carry a giant carrot around? So that's very cool. Two cartoon characters meeting each other. Sounds like the start of a book. <sighs> It totally is. It's like two different species meet each other. And they're like, why do you have that strange crest on your head? And they're like, why do you have four legs? Anyway, we've talked, been talking a bit about people we've seen in Melbourne. But JP, as a person who is no longer a Melbourneian, do you have any fun stories about wacky characters that you've heard of in Japan? Wacky characters I've come across in Japan. Let me think. Honestly, no. I haven't come across anyone crazy. The only like 
public crazy thing I saw was in Kumamoto. I saw this like uh, group of like guys. There are like maybe four or five of them, and they were just outside with these big ass speakers, and they were like singing and rapping over like this like this track, and it felt like it had really big early two thousands energy. They, they had yeah. Long- baggy pants and they're like rapping and go yo 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 nihongo you know and then like there's a whole crowd around me going yeah that's just b-boyers dude yeah yeah literally street ciphers yeah street ciphers. that's just culture culture <laughs> yeah yeah well, b-boying that's b-boying. yeah that's it that's what i saw i just saw the b-boys japanese b-boys on the street it kind of reminds me it's not wacky but one time um you know the church kind of near melda central me and my mom were there and we were going outside and we it's not wacky but there was this little boy i think he was like six years old i think maybe and he was doing rapping he was trying to rap but to be honest it wasn't really that good but every single person around he was like oh my god that is so good he's such a great rapper and i just go to my mom and i'm like that's actually not that good i don't know why they're lying to him but yeah, I said it in my own language that nobody heard me, but yeah. Yo, that's cute. That's actually cute. That's Alicia strange. just started a diss track. <laughs> she's got like full rap battle. My God, so I can imagine she steps, in, she steps in and grabs the mic off. Like, <laughs> hey, yo, what's this clown talking about? Geography, <laughs> I'm going to take over from here. Uh, I feel like sometimes children need to be less encouraged in creative pursuits. <laughs> you sound like an Asian parent, <laughs> Yeah, you do. I think it's Yo, perfectly careful. fine. To, I think it's perfectly fine to be rapping at the family reunion, but rapping like at Melbourne Central as a six-year-old is going to make you big-headed in the long term. I think. I agree because I feel like kids. <laughs> They're always so full of themselves. Like they think that they're the center of the intention. And when you like encourage them more, they become more like, you know, full of themselves. I went to my friend's house and she has a little sister. I forgot how old she is, but she's in kindergarten. And then I went to their backyard and their dad was there. So I said hello to them. And he saw he saw her and he's like, oh my her name is Okay, whatever her name is. She's like, oh my God, isn't she so great? Isn't she the loveliest? She's the stu- sweetest person. And I'm just like awkwardly standing there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, she is sweet. She's lovely. Yeah, sure. And yeah. Wow, I can so you hate it when parents love their children. Yeah, <laughs> they love them too much. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Bombs are being dropped on tonight's edition of Asian Pop Nation. Yeah. So yeah. If being a wacky character or dressing like a frog isn't really your style, we're actually giving out some homey streetwear clothing and Vic Market tattoo vouchers as part of our Radiothon campaign. So from now until June 11, if you donate to syn.org.au and go to our donate page, you can go into the draw to win not only some streetwear, tattoo vouchers, we've also got heaps more prizes donated from local businesses and organizations and all of your donations will go to supporting media training and radio opportunities for young people and help keep shows like Asian Pop Nation on the air. So if you love getting your weekly dose of K-pop and Asian music, then make sure to go to syn.org.au and pay for your sins. You are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard all about some wacky individuals that we've cited around Melbourne recently. If you guys have ever seen any of these wacky characters around, do let us know on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Speaking of wacky characters, if you guys would like to keep hearing all of our wacky hosts here at APN, make sure to participate in Sin's Radiothon and help us get to $50,000. Any sort of donation is very much appreciated and helps us keep the station running and delivering the awesome content that you guys are used to. Donations above $2 are tax deductible and puts you into the running to win one of three amazing prize packs, all kindly donated by local NAM businesses and organisations. Donate now at syn.org and a huge thank you to everyone that's already donated.